Good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Terry. Morning, everyone. Let me likewise add my welcome. If you're here for the first time, we're glad that you're here and you've been informed about our fantastic looking welcome as lunch. I've seen some of the food. <clears throat> um, it's fruit. There's a trifle in the fridge. And I've already sinned. Envy. I didn't taste it. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Thank you again, Heavenly Father, for this, the opportunity we have to gather with one another, your people, in your presence, and to listen to you. We pray that as we work through this passage, that we would hear you, that hear your truth spoken to us, and that we would not only receive it, but that we would absorb it into our life and be transformed by it. So, Lord, in this part of our service, we ask that you might help us to listen and to concentrate, but that you might speak to us, we pray, by your Spirit, through the Scriptures, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got this new fangle-dangle thing, and I tried this in the 8.30. <laughs> Somebody said it just works like a remote control. You know, you just push it, it comes on. <clears throat> we'll see see how long I endure this service. What do you want most in life? Ever asked that question? What would you like most in life? Common answer people give is, I want to be healthy. I don't think that's number one. I think, I, I think there's something more you need than health. When you get sick, you'll need this. I think the thing we need in life more than health, taking in fact, of course, assuming, no, that, um, it's taking my toy off me, that you've got a relationship with. <laughs> Did you do that? See how patronizing he is? He's holding it. <laughs> You can't see his face, but it really was. <laughs> um, oh, now you've distracted me. The thing you need in life most is healthy relationships. 
even when you're not, if you don't have your health, and what you need is people around you who are caring for you and supporting you. That's true, isn't it? Many of us, not all of us, many of us get that in families or some very close friends, but we all need it. We need people in our life. So when you go through the dark valleys, when you go through difficult, stressful times, you need somebody who's going to be there supporting you, listening, praying for you, giving advice and direction, just helping you. We all need that. And that's certainly what the Bible teaches, of course. Somebody came to Jesus once and asked him that, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour, love one another as yourself. This horrible dimension to life is incredibly important and crucial for us. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives instructions to the church in Colossae, which really addresses that issue of how can we develop good relationships with one another, especially in the church, but not only, also outside. In this passage, which is what I'm calling, look at this, what a master teacher he is. Citizens of heaven. We're going to talk about our status as citizens of heaven. We'll talk about the wardrobe, the clothes we wear as citizens of heaven. And we'll talk about the priorities that Paul says in this passage are the priorities for those who are saints, citizens in heaven. Just to revise very quickly, we have been baptised in the Lord Jesus and next Sunday is our baptismal service. We'll begin our service next Sunday with the baptisms. If you haven't been baptised, you're thinking about it. And you really do need to talk to us today about that to make the deadline for next Sunday. Um, as followers of Jesus, we've been baptised. We've put off the old, we've died to the old way of life, we've been buried with Jesus, we've risen again to a new life in him, and now we are to put on the new life. It's in this passage, verse 12 and following, the Apostle Paul focuses upon this putting on dimension. And Paul gave those reasons last week as we looked at so our status, the first point, status, our wardrobe, and our priorities. What's our status? Well, in the beginning of verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we are the chosen, holy, and loved ones of God. These are the very same titles that are used of Israel in the Old Testament. God's chosen people, those that he set apart from all nations, holy, and people who were to be, that he would love in covenant as they walked in obedience with him. They would experience his goodness and provisions and everything else, his blessing. But it's also the three words that he used to describe the Lord Jesus, that he is God's ultimate chosen one, that he is the holy son of God. And beloved is that title that the father uses of Jesus at his baptism. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, the beloved. Chosen, holy, beloved. The words used for the Old Testament people of God now used for the New Testament people of God. The titles used of Jesus are now used to us. That which is singular is now plural. We are identified with him. We are in him. God treats us like him. Chosen, holy, and beloved. That's our status. Now, on the basis of our status, there are things that we are to do and there are things that we are to demonstrate in our life as God has graciously chosen us in love to be set apart just like a husband or a wife chooses their spouse to be devoted to one another chosen set apart from all others to be loved and there is an expectation of loyalty and of faithfulness to one another 
So God has that expectation of us as followers of the Lord Jesus. We'll be faithful and loyal and devoted to him. Not pleasing ourselves and running off and flirting with the world or our old sinful ways from the past. So what's the wardrobe that Paul talks about? Well, in verse 12 again, he says we are to clothe ourselves with. And in verse 14, over all of these, put on love. To clothe ourselves with and to put something on. In verse 5 and verse 8, we spoke about, Apostle Paul said, put off, take off these things, anger and malice and lying to one another and all sorts of foul and wrong speech and put aside lying against one another. Get rid of those things and put on now these things. These are to be the, the robes, if you like, the parts of our wardrobe that demonstrate um, who we are in Jesus that people will see him in us. That's the point. Because the qualities that we're about to look at, five qualities, are all modelled for us and demonstrated by ultimately by the Lord Jesus. These are the royal robes that are to be evident, to be manifest in our lives. Well, what are they? Five of them, quickly. Firstly, heartfelt compassion. Heartfelt Something that is deeply experienced emotionally. This is an emotional word. It's where you're looking upon somebody else either in need and you are drawn towards them in a very caring way. It's the word used of the Good Samaritan when he saw the beaten up individual. He had compassion on him. It's the word used of the uh, father of the prodigal son when the son is returning. It's the father's heart was filled with compassion, ran towards him and embraced him. It's the same word used of the Lord Jesus when he says to his disciples, let's get in the boat and go across to the other side because we need to rest. When they get to the other side, they find out that the crowd had followed them around. And the Bible says, and Jesus saw the crowd and his heart was filled with compassion. Felt deeply for them. They looked like sheep without a shepherd. They were in need. The disciples with Jesus looked at the same crowd and they didn't feel compassion. They said, send them away. We came across here because we need to rest. Now we learn something about compassion. When you focus upon your needs, you won't have compassion for others in need. So compassion is an others-centered response to their need. And Paul says that's what God expects us to be having as first part of the garments. If you find you lack this, then... If you're lacking compassion towards another, particularly if you're lacking compassion towards another in the church community, especially, or someone in a close family relationship, someone you know and spend time with, then try getting beside them and try and give, get them to have the opportunity to tell you their story. Get to find out more about them. And maybe through that process, God will work in your heart, deep within you, so that you can be developing compassion towards that person. Compassion, heartfelt compassion, kindness. As God has been kind to us, good to us, generous to us, Romans 2.4 says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Peter says that we have tasted the kindness of God in coming to Jesus through the gospel. Kind to us, not just good, but kind. Not cruel, not harsh but generous, kind. So that's what we are to be towards others. 
the opposite of being cruel or inconsiderate or harsh. Humility, the centre of it all. You've probably um, heard this, you may have even said this yourself and it's wrong. Um, it's impossible for you to know that you're humble because as soon as you know or think that you're humble, then you're not. Heard that? Said that? You can't know or say that you're humble because as soon as you do, then you're not. You're rather proud because I'm humble. It's not true. You can know, because you have to obey the command, you can know that you're humble and you can say that you're humble without being proud. Didn't say it was easy, but it is possible. Three people in the Bible call themselves humble. Moses, Numbers chapter 11. Who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. What did Moses write in the book of Numbers about himself? Moses, the most humble man on earth. Well, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so I think it's true. You can say you're humble. Jesus, he said he was humble, gentle of heart. And the Apostle Paul says he was humble. So it's possible for you to be aware that you are humble. Well, what is it? Humbleness is not this uh, lowly dumping upon yourself and, you know, no, shucks, I'm no good at anything. And that's not humility. What is humility? Well, humility is not comparing myself to you and pretending, oh, no, you're better than me, you're more important than me. It's not putting on that sort of pretense. Humility is comparing yourself to Jesus, to God. So honestly, sincerely, openly, comparing yourself to Jesus, to God. Now, how do you stack up against that? And it's that recognition of who you are compared to who he is. That attitude, that awareness, that's the humility bit. That's humbleness. I am aware that I am fully dependent and reliant on God. When I have that attitude, that he is significant and I am not, that I am not indispensable, that he is the creator, he is the sovereign one, he rules, that we're all equal, when I have that attitude, that's humility, and that's what we are to be developing. It's the opposite of bragging or promoting yourself or that very subtle one where people out of their own insecurities will go around and they'll be looking for affirmation or encouragement or pats on the back, and that's really driven by pride, not by humility, because they need, they want to be told by others that they're needed, that they're good, that they're important. That's pride not humility. Next one, gentleness. Greatly prized in the ancient world. This is where if you're in situations of conflict, which we'll come to in a moment, then the other person is experiencing your criticism of them, your correction of them. They're experiencing that as being helpful. It's not being attacked. That's gentleness. It's strength under submission, strength under control. It's a picture word. Everybody likes to use this illustration to explain what gentleness is. It's the ability and power to be able to do something but not doing it, 
but rather doing it in a controlled, gentle manner. It's the picture of a horse, a large 500 pound, 1,000 pound animal, very strong and muscular, much more powerful than we are, but trained, submissive, responsive to and obedient to the very petite rider on its back, following the instructions, somebody completely surrendered to the will of the other, gentleness. And that's what we are to be, fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus and him working through us and us not just being surrendered, but gentle, soft and gracious in the way we're dealing with those who are struggling, those who are wounded. And the last one of the five is patience. And we all have that, so we'll just move on because I don't have time. Long-suffering, long-tempered, the opposite of being short-fused, patience. Tolerating other people's weaknesses and faults, giving them time to improve, but also giving them room to move and to make mistakes. Not coming down heavily upon people all the time. Patient. The reality is, people are going to get on your nerves, aren't they? Yes? because they're people. They're going to get on your nerves and you're going to get on their nerves. And if you haven't been frustrated or annoyed by somebody in this church, that's because you're a visitor. <laughs> Just hang around, we'll get you. Patience. Being tolerant of one another. Giving people that time and that room to both improve and so on. Because we're certainly a variety of people. We have different personalities and different strengths, different weaknesses. We're all flawed. We're all broken. We all have strengths where we're very capable and we all have weaknesses where we're quite incapable. But we need to be tolerant. Accepting of some of those differences and difficulties and faults and idiosyncrasies. Not talking about sin, just talking about personality quirks. So there's the believer's wardrobe. Our status, chosen by him, set apart by him to be loved by him. That's our status, sons and daughters of God. He's also given us clothes, a robe to wear, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Which one of those do you need to be working on? Which one of those would go to the top of your list? So I said to the 8.30 service, let's take patience. You take whichever one you like, I'll take patience. And then get a card and write the word patience on it. And then pray every day, Lord, make me a patient man. Develop patience in me. And keep praying that prayer. And as I said to the 8.30 service, just give yourself a week, because after that it doesn't work, then go pick something else. <clears throat> Joking. But do something like that. Pick which one. Is the Spirit of God saying, you need more of that in your life? Which one is it? In fact, the Lord Jesus is the one who demonstrated all of that. And so it's an invitation, an instruction for us as his followers to behave like him. Compassionate towards others, kind and caring. Humble. Comparing myself to God. I'm just his servant gentle and patient with those who are struggling. That's the robe that we are to put on. 
And then as all ladies know, you not only need a nice robe to put on, what do you need on your feet? Two shoes. So the Apostle Paul gives us two shoes to put on. Because there will be grievances, he tells us in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, you will. There will be times when you will have a grievance. There will be times when you have a complaint against somebody or somebody against you in this world. What are we to do? These two things, bear with one another and forgive one another. This is where those five qualities, compassion um, and kindness and humility, patience, gentleness and patience, they get tested in the context of relationships where someone is being inconsiderate, selfish, rude, pushy. That'll test those qualities that Jesus wants us to be reflecting. And one of the ways that we can help bear the test, because the reality is it's not the absence of complaints that will grow you, it's how you deal with them. It's how you respond to the issues, the choices we make. And the first one is to bear with, put up with. These are the minor differences, faults, idiosyncrasies, whatever, misunderstandings. Put up with, endure, tolerate. Choose not to retaliate or to respond. Easier said than done, but that's the direction we're called to go in. Imagine how much the Lord Jesus bore with others. How much he let go through to the keeper. It's a great verse in Luke chapter 4. It talks about the Lord Jesus going into the wilderness, time alone with God, tempted by the devil, experienced God's protection, filled with the Spirit, returns in the power of the Spirit, and then attends the synagogue as was his custom. Every Sabbath, Jesus is in the synagogue. Imagine what it was like for the Son of God to go through a Jewish worship experience when he knew what he knew about human nature. Of those who were hypocritical and just pretending and they weren't real. And How much stuff did he just let go through to the keeper? Bore with, patiently tolerated. Of course, because he knew what he was going to be doing. And then secondly, related to that is actually to forgive, cancel the record. This is where there is some offence, whether it's sin or there's some deep hurt, there's some wrong that's been committed. Don't harbour a grudge, but forgive, cancel the debt. Just as God has forgiven us, so we are to extend that to others. That's God's expectation. If we struggle with forgiving somebody, then try being kind to that person. It's what Romans 2.4 says, that God's kindness to us leads us to repentance. So by being kind to another, it'll help transform our heart, our attitudes, and enable us to move into, like God, in towards forgiveness as they get moved towards repentance. Of course, we often speak about this one. Matthew chapter 18 is a story Jesus tells of a king who had a servant. The servant owed the king an amount which it was not possible, not humanly possible for him to repay. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. <clears throat> the king calls him in and says, it's time to pay up your account, knowing that he can't pay it. And the servant falls on his knees and asks the king for mercy. You know, please give me time, have mercy on me. And the king is gracious. 
compassionate towards him. And not only says, I'll give you time, he actually cancels the debt. He forgives. He wipes out the debt, debt free. And he goes out and he finds another servant who owes him a minuscule amount, dollars, a handful of dollars, and he grabs him by the throat. He's squeezing it out of him quite literally and pay me what you owe me, just like what the king had said to him. He says the same words, have mercy on me, give me time and I'll pay you back. The king hears about this and he is miffed and he calls the servant back in and he says, I cancelled your debt. Shouldn't you have done the same to that person? The answer is obvious. Jesus says, that's how your heavenly father will treat you if you don't forgive others as he has forgiven us. That's a serious word. Why didn't the servant forgive the other servant? My answer, my guess he didn't believe the king had forgiven him. He didn't believe it really happened. And so people who either don't feel forgiven or don't believe that they are forgiven by God will be unforgiving towards others. So that could be an issue, depending on where you are. Either you're not aware or you're not feeling, you're not experienced God's forgiveness of you and therefore God's requirements for those who have been forgiven to be forgiving towards others. Well, that's the robe, that's the shoes. And then the Apostle Paul says, listen, I haven't said everything that needs to be said about what we need to do. The list is not exhaustive. And so he says in verse 14, over all of these, put on love, which binds everything together. It's the belt that goes around the tunic, ties it all together. Like the Apostle Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all else, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. If you have a loving attitude towards others, you make a choice about, is this something I need to talk to them about or is it something I just let go through to the keeper? I cover their sin. I extend forgiveness automatically towards them. Paul says, have that attitude towards one another. The sacrificial giving love of Jesus, agape. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Not as many of us will know 1 John 3.16. <clears throat> this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's love. So the Apostle... John says, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Put on love, put on that attitude, being prepared to lay your life down for somebody else. And that's what binds us together in harmony and unity on the journey towards maturity. James Dunn, in his commentary, writes, for a Christian community, regulations will never be enough. Only love will suffice. You can't legislate it. You can have all the policies and rules and regulations you like, but without this heart being transformed, loving Jesus and loving and caring for one another, you will not create or enable Christian community. Put on love, the Apostle Paul says. Well, how you doing? Which one of those do you need to be working on? Which ones do you need to be repenting of? Where is God working in your life? How's your wardrobe? What's hanging in the cupboard? What are you wearing? What do you need to wear? 
what shoes do you need to put on? And then quickly, the Apostle uh, Paul comes to three priorities, seeing that we have been set free, we have this new status in following Jesus, we have the robes of the Lord Jesus, we've been treated like Jesus, we are to treat one another as Jesus has treated us, and now we are to follow through, follow the Lord Jesus. And he talks about the peace of Christ in verse 15. He talks about uh, the word of Christ in verse 16. And we'll come in verse 17 to um, the name of Christ. Peace of Christ, word of Christ, name of Christ. Just quickly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. What he's talking about is this inner experience of peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, reconciled to him. But we also now can experience the peace of God within. And that peace of God, that inner calm, is to be our experience to rule and to make decisions by. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it be the umpire. Lord, do I do that or do I do that? Which one do I do? Which one do you have his sense of peace about? Which one do you have his sense of blessing on? That's the way. Let his peace direct your paths, direct you. Because that's what you've been called to, he says in verse 16, um, verse 15. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. Peace with one another, peace with God, but peace within. And be thankful. He'll say three times, peace of Christ. Is that what you need? You need more of the responsiveness to the Jesus ruling within you. The word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. And he tells us how the word of Christ can dwell in us richly as we study. Who's driving this thing? As we study, teach and admonish one another. Personally, corporately. Primarily here corporately, but it has this personal thing. As we teach and admonish one another, you've got to know the Word of God so you can use the Word of God to instruct others. The Bible says this. Or to admonish one another, to correct one another, as the Bible says, don't do that. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be at home in you by teaching and admonishing one another as you sing psalms and hymns and songs, all given by the Spirit. Psalms is a stringed instrument, hymns are songs of praise, and spiritual songs or songs are probably more the spontaneous and or the new songs that were being created. In the early church, they created new songs for the first three or four centuries. It was after that they stopped writing new songs. We have some reflections of those probably in the New Testament, some passages. And then the church reverted to singing psalms, the inspired scriptures. And it wasn't until about the 1600s from memory that a man by the name of Benjamin Keach, a Baptist, yes, wrote some hymns. Got into trouble for it because back then they were singing scripture, they were singing the Psalms. And he wrote this secular, it was a hymn, but it was a song of praise to God, but it wasn't in the Bible. And he started then this whole movement of us writing songs again. Was in the beginning, lost it, now it's back again, and God continues to give songs. And so before the printing press, songs, music, was a very powerful way for the Word of God to be absorbed. We learn scripture, we learn truth by singing it and putting it to tunes. 
So we are to use our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that the Word of God might dwell within us. And then, of course, just trying to be study songs and soils. It's got to start with S, doesn't it? So soils. And what I mean by soils is the attitude of your heart, the receptivity of your heart. Remember the parable of the four soils? The first three were unreceptive. The fourth one is the one that is receptive to bear fruit. For the word of God to dwell in you richly and to bear fruit, your heart has to be receptive to it. How do you have a receptive heart? Have a thankful heart. As you are thankful. That's what the Apostle Paul, in fact, says on each of these. Thankfulness. And be thankful, verse 15. Singing with thanks, verse 16. And giving thanks, verse 17. Thankfulness permeating the life of those who know Jesus and who follow God. The mark of the non-Christian is that they are unthankful. Romans chapter 1. Thankfulness. How's that for you? Peace of Christ, word of Christ, now the name of Christ, the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whether you say something or whether you do something, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Paul's instructions for our um, priorities. Peace of Christ, word of Christ, in the name of Christ. So in the Lord Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. We have our status, we have our wardrobe, and we have our priorities. We are a group of people who have been treated like Jesus, chosen, set apart, and loved. Now we are to treat others like Jesus, compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, binding it all together with an attitude of love towards one another, treating each other as we have been treated, just like Jesus. And then following Jesus, letting his peace, his word, and his name direct our paths and his, to his honour. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pause again to give you thanks. Thank you for choosing us, for setting us apart, for being committed to loving us. Thank you for our position and status in Jesus. Lord, clothe us with these attributes, these attitudes of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that you might allow the peace of Christ to rule within our hearts, the word of Christ to dwell in us and to direct us, and for the name of Christ to be honoured in us and through us, so that others might know you and likewise thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.